This is our final installment in what I think is a record short series. For me, this is super short. This is me summarizing as much as I can into three weeks. Um, I lost the vote. I wanted to carry on and unpack more, but Sue, Irwin, Tammy uh, are struggling in their faith and they don't feel like you need enough. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. I trust, I trust their perspective, maybe. Uh, so, so, so I am wrapping up today with the third part that we've been talking about where we've looked at the Venn diagram and we've looked at our thoughts and practices and today we're looking at relationships. I want to just quickly mention that next week we are starting a series, an even shorter series, two parts, uh, which will be, I don't know why you guys get excited about short services, especially when it's my wife, uh, called Fighting Fair. So, so several months back when we were looking at the year and the first few months of the year, we, we were especially thinking with it being kind of on either side of Valentine's Day. And, and by the way, we also just feel that there is, if, there are a couple of areas that I think we have to address um, as practically as possible. So, so theologically and practically, because it's just so relevant to so many of us, relationships are, are obviously one of the biggest things that all of us deal with, whether it's family relationships, uh, relationships at work or school or with your neighbor, whatever the case is, um, like that's kind of where the rubber hits the road. Another area is when it comes to our finances, something that we talk very, very little about at the church, but starting the last week of February, we're going to do a series on generosity because all of these things, so prayer is a practice, generosity is a practice, how we handle conflict, us, us actually practicing humility, practicing um, certain things that go into unity and actually being better together afterwards, um, these are things that, that we want to put into place. We don't just want to have the theory. We don't just want to agree on some nice ideals. We actually want to be better people. We actually want to be people of love. We want to be people of self-control and peace and where we bring unity, where we bring growth and maturity, uh, where we live lives that are generous we desperately don't want this just to be um, about academic, you know, uh, intellectual knowledge, understanding. No, no, it has to actually translate into our everyday lives, where we, what we're dealing with from Monday to Saturday, and a lot of the time on a Sunday too. So anyway, uh, I want to just quickly make reference to our Venn diagram that we've used for this series, where we're taking a look at the three key areas that the Holy Spirit wants to use to actually help us grow, help us be transformed, help us become the people that God has called us to be. We are all becoming. Yeah. It's just a question of what? We're all being formed or deformed. And the things that form us or deform us are in many cases connected to our thoughts, our practices, and our relationships. So we've looked at thoughts and practices already. Today we're going to take a look at relationships. And by means of introduction, I want to go back to a verse we've read the previous two weeks, found in Romans 12, verse 2. And then I want to go on to a couple more verses from the same passage. It says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. In other words, customs, behavior, these are, in many cases, practices. It's the things that we do. And the things we do, do something to us. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you by changing the way you Many of us know that if we change our thinking, to a large extent, we'll change our lives. Not com it doesn't transform us completely because, again, you can think differently, but if we don't connect that to action, to behavior, we're not going to experience what I think God actually has planned for us. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing 
and perfect. Just think about that for a moment, by the way, before we move on. If we are adjusting, if we're not, if we're not being influenced by the customs and behaviors of the world, if we're allowing our thinking to change, we'll be transformed. God will transform us. So there's a part that we do and there's a part that only He can do. But in that process, we actually get to know God's will, which, by the way, is good and pleasing and perfect. It doesn't mean that it's all easy or it's exactly what we think we want when we want it, but it is good and pleasing and perfect. The author, Paul, of this passage goes on in verse 4 to say, Just as our bodies have many parts and each one has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body. You don't have to like this. You don't have to agree with this. But if you are following Jesus, you are one of the many parts of one body. You wouldn't think so sometimes if you look at our denominations and church names and all this, but actually, we're all going to be together in eternity. We're part of one body. Not some weird distant cousin that you're trying to avoid. No, no, we're part of one body. And we all belong to each other. Think about that for a moment. That's quite a radical statement, especially reading that in the ears of our cultural moment 2,000 years after it was written. But does truth change? Are followers of Jesus not still part of one body? If, you are a, if you're not a Christian, you're off the hook. But if you're a Christian, if you're actually following Jesus, we belong to one another. We have a responsibility to one another in our various contexts, etc. But But we actually belong to one another. The first concern that was ever raised by God, recorded in the Bible, was shortly after creation. We find it in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, where God says it is not good for the man to be alone. Now, I know that there are a lot of pet lovers out there. I do like our dog. Not a big fan of, our, of cats, but, but that's okay. But no matter how much you love animals, guys, Adam had a lot of animals around him, a lot of life around him. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. God said, it's not good for man to be alone. Not your granny. God said, it's not good. There is something about the way that we have been created where it is not healthy, it's not good for us to live isolated lives. That is different to being in a group like this. So, so yes, you may be in a group of people right now, or you may be part of some massive following of some celebrity. You're a part of some level of community, but you can still be very alone. Yeah. You can be in a group, in a crowd, and be very, you can be in a family and feel completely alone, feel completely isolated. And the scary thing is we do have an enemy, and that's, and that's not meant to give, put an unhealthy fear onto you. That's to make us alert and aware. We have a very real enemy who I believe wants to isolate us, who wants to keep us guarded and, and keep people at a distance and fight against any level of vulnerability and allowing anyone to get near to us on any level. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. In my opinion, it's like if you think of predators, they don't go for the weakest sheep. They'll go for the loneliest sheep. They go for the sheep that, that thinks it's Sheepzilla who's kind of wandering off, you know, all by itself somewhere because it's, he's taken his creatine and he's, and he's 
ripped. He's got a six-pack, and he can handle you know whatever comes his way. That's the that's the sheep that the predator goes for. He doesn't go for the weakest sheep that's in the pack. He's looking. There's something. There's a healthy vulnerability, and then there's a really unhealthy vulnerability. An unhealthy vulnerability is when we are doing life alone. Peter, who's writing this, is actually writing to a group of Christians that are literally facing persecution, like in some cases losing their lives. They are facing physical persecution for their faith. This is him cautioning them and then saying, stand firm against him, that's the enemy, and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. In other words, Peter's saying, you have an enemy who wants to take you out. Let me encourage you, you're not alone. You're actually a part of a family. We need one another. It is repeated throughout Scripture. The New Testament alone has 59 one another's. Love one another, forgive one another, share one another's loads, be patient towards one another. 59. There's a whole lot of one anothering going on in the family of God. 2 Timothy 2 verse 22 says, run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Don't like kind of wonder, question, study it, drift away while yawning. No, no, run. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. And here's the key. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. The people that we allow to influence us matters. Full stop. If you're a parent, you know that the people that have influence over your kids, whether they are in real life or whether they're uh, doing this remotely through media, it matters. Craig Rochelle famously says, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, become wise by walking with the wise. Hang out with fools and watch your life fall to pieces. Now, I want to clarify, they don't have to be blatantly stupid. You could, you, what I mean is you could have people that, that just have the kind of value system that isn't going to lead to life. They might be killing it on a career level. They might be killing it on a financial level. They might look like they're balling. That means they're winning, okay? But that doesn't mean that their values are going to lead to life. There are way too many people that, seem, that appear on, on worldly terms to be incredibly successful on one level, but they, are, but they have a trail of bodies in their, in their wake in terms of relationships, partnerships, employees that have been like, just broken and disposed of. If you're going to want to emulate someone, make sure you're looking at a, as full a picture as possible. Don't just look at, yes, man, they're, they're killing it in their career. But, but you're not paying attention to how empty the rest of their lives are. And play that movie forward. What does it look like in their 50s, in their 60s, in their 70s? If you're going to want to emulate someone, I just want to encourage you to, to broaden the stuff, broaden the values that you want to emulate. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 33 says, Don't be fooled by those who say such things, for bad company corrupts good character. Again, that wasn't just your grandmother or your mom. That's in the Bible. A bad company corrupts good character. In other words, 
You may think immediately, but Jason, I want to be able to influence others. I want to be able to build into other people's lives. That is brilliant if you can do that. That's godly. That's biblical. Jesus did that. Jesus hung out with prostitutes, with corrupt tax collectors, etc. If you, if you can remain differentiated, if you can remain independent, if you can keep following the path that leads to life, and you're able to interact with others and you can influence them, beautiful. But please just be honest with yourself as to whether or not you, you are genuinely able to do that or or if chances are more that you're going to be influenced over time by their thinking, their choices, their behavior. It, it matters. Our social environments matter. Some of you might be familiar with some research over the decades that showed it was, it was actually quite a shock to, to those that were investigating this in the early 70s that up, that, that, as, that close to 20% of U.S. soldiers in Vietnam had become addicted to heroin. That is a lot of people. 20%. Think about that for a moment. 20% of soldiers had become addicted to heroin. Now, bear in mind, when we talk about habits and all these kinds of things, there's a, there's a trigger, there's a craving, there's a response, there's a reward. People call it, call it a habit loop. Now, you're in a war zone. That's a trigger. You talk about stress. You're seeing your friends blown up. You're seeing people not coming back home with you. you there's, there's stress, okay? That's understandable. You've got access, easy access to a drug that's going to help you escape. You've got other friends that are doing it with you. It's easy. There's no positive peer pressure. It's like, let's just chill. Let's So they were shocked to discover that close to 20% of soldiers were addicted to heroin. But what was interesting over the years that proceeded that was that they discovered that 95% of the soldiers that returned to the US, to their homes, to, their, to a different environment, to their family, to their friends, 95% of them were able to break the addiction. Over the next three years, that number shifted a little bit to where to where 10 to 12% of returning soldiers over a three-year period might have relapsed. Basically, they're saying that, that upwards of three years after coming back from an addiction, nine out of 10, 90% of soldiers were able to break that addiction. Then, more recent research has shown that that number has become completely reversed. So in the US, 90% of people that are addicted to heroin, that go to a clinic, that go to a rehab, so into a safe environment for a season, 90% of them, when they come back home, relapse. That is a staggering percentage. The difference is the environment. Now, it's not just the people, but the people are an enormous part of it. But you're going back to the same stress, you're going back to the same things that triggered you in the first place, things that, that you now have to learn to cope with in a different way. Um, you, chances are you've probably had friends that you would use with. You know, you know how easy it is to, to get hold of stuff. You know where all, the, where all the parts are. Nine out of ten that came out of, a dysfunction, out of an unhealthy environment back into a healthy environment were able to break the addiction. Now it's the opposite to a nine out of ten. Once they come back out of that safe environment, come back home, back into their normal situations, circumstances, nine out of ten, ninety percent of people relapse. It matters. 
the environments that we allow ourselves to function in, the, the, the people that we allow to have influence over us matters. Like in some cases, quite literally, life and death. Here's a statement that I want you to pay attention to. Three words that I want you to let sink in. Jesus needed friends. Jesus needed friends. Now you might argue over the definition of friends. Let's just call it relationships then. Jesus needed relationships. Now he had crowds of people that hated him and loved him, people that were wanting to make him king one moment and then kill him the next. Like, like he, wasn't, he wasn't phased by the, by the, the populace but he chose to do life with 12. Life. I mean, they, they traveled together, they lived together, they ate together, they went hungry together, they, they experienced things together. And then there were three that he leaned on in his most vulnerable, painful moment. And by the way, he was vulnerable with them. How else do we hear reports of Jesus being tempted in the wilderness if he hadn't told someone? How do we know about what Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane if those three friends, James, Peter, James, and John, weren't able to tell people afterwards, hey, this is what Jesus was praying. Not once, not twice, three times he asked the Father if there's another way. He was sweating drops of blood. He was under pressure because he allowed three people to be close enough to him to see him in his most vulnerable state. Now, let's also remember that none of them were perfect. All of them had messed up in different ways. One of them betrayed him to death. All of them had different personality issues and quirkiness. And, but Jesus chose to have relationships around him, to have close relationships around him. We need one another. Here are, here are just seven of the one another's in the New Testament. Number one, serve one another. We need to serve one another. 1 Peter 4 verse 10 says, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. I am genuinely burdened by the idea that if followers of Jesus, so the parts of the body of Christ, don't use well, they don't use their gifts well to serve one another, I, I have no reason to be confident that, that someone choosing not to contribute is just simply replaced by somebody else. I think a lot of needs go unmet in our communities, at work, at school, at home, in churches, because people, for whatever reason, are not using well the gifts that God has given them. We need to serve one another. Number two, we need to help one another grow. If you were with us last year when we did a series on our values, one of them was unity. And the, the main idea that we try to get across is that unity is not just the absence of division, it's the presence of maturity. In other words, we will grow together. We don't just not fight. We, don't, we definitely don't fake peace. False peace, in my opinion, is from the, de from the devil, from the bad place. We need to help one another grow. Ephesians 4.16 says, He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Sorry, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow. 
How do we know that we are functioning, that we are using our gifts, that we are serving one another? Well, people are going to be growing, growing in increasing wholeness and health, growing in relationships, growing in fulfilling God's purposes, growing in fruit of the Spirit, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We need to help one another grow. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. There's possibly no area in church life that I would be less uh, confident about than what we're talking about today. I'm saying where we move past the superficial, where people are known for real, where people allow over time appropriate vulnerability to develop with people that have earned their trust, where, where we will help one another grow, where we will serve one another. This might, you might not agree with the statement, I'm giving you my opinion, but I don't think that the biggest challenge to modern day Christianity in the, in the Western world certainly in evangelical circles. I don't think that the biggest challenge is a lack of knowledge and understanding, although there's always a need for that. But we have more information, more great teaching, more great books, more great devotionals than ever before in the history of mankind. In the last 10, 20 years, probably more has been produced to help us from an intellectual point of view than the rest of human history put together, I, mean, I would guess. So, so we need that, but that's not, the, that's not the deficiency. The deficiency is what we're talking about today. The deficiency is us belonging to one another, serving one another, helping one another, confessing to one another appropriately, forgiving one another. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. In other words, there's friction. Like it takes something hard, against something else that's hard to actually sharpen one another, right? You don't, you don't sharpen a knife against a block of wood, right? You need something else that's equally hard. It's, it's steel that you can actually rub up against one another. Again, next week we'll talk about fighting fair, so come back for some of that stuff where maybe there's some friction. Number three, confess to one another. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other so that you may be healed. There is a, an important place for us to confess to God. It is not less than confessing to God. Our healing is not less than confessing to God. But a lot of the time, especially if, if there is something that is recurring, there's a pattern, it is more than just confessing to God. And again, that's because God has actually designed it that way. There's something that happens, and I'm sure that, that people that can explain the neuroscience behind it, the psychology behind it, the, the effect on the soul, maybe, maybe someone can give you a more detailed explanation, but I can just tell you from my own personal experience, in terms of me being on the receiving end of that mercy and being on the other side of offering mercy, there is something different. It becomes more tangible, it becomes more real when you share your load, you, you confess something that, that you've been holding on to, that you've been struggling with on a recurring level. You think God's forgiven you, you you've confessed it, you've tried, but then when you speak to someone that is a healthy Christian and they're like, hey, Jason, 
You're clean. Like God's forgiven you. Let's trust God for the next season. There's something about receiving that mercy from another person that moves from just accepting forgiveness to actually experiencing healing. How many people have been forgiven, but they're still carrying the wound of something that they did 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and the enemy just keeps whispering, just keeps speaking shame. Remember, Jesus knows your name, uh, your shame, but calls you by your name, where the devil knows your name, but calls you by your shame. And so if you don't have someone else that can remind you, Jason, come on, man. It took me a few years after getting my life sorted out with God to accept that God had actually forgiven me. And throughout my adult life, one of the greatest gifts that I've received has been, has been having someone in my life that can just keep reminding me, J- Jason, like it needs to go from here to here. You are loved. Before you get your act together, before you get everything right, there's something. I'm just telling you, God's created it that way. You don't have to understand why. I'm telling you from experience that there is power, there is value in being humble and vulnerable with the right personal people, confessing, and Scripture tells us that you will actually find healing. Number four, we need to forgive one another. Two quick passages there. Ephesians 4, verse 32. Be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Colossians 3, 13. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Yeah, but Jason, you don't know what that person did to me. And he was a Christian and he was a leader. Okay, you're right. You don't have to forgive them. Guys, we only need to forgive when it's something that is inexcusable. there, There is no justification. It's wrong. And make no mistake, in, if, you're going to, if you're going to get planted into a local church community, into a family of believers, make no mistake, there will be plenty of opportunity to need to forgive one another and receive forgiveness. I wish it wasn't like that. I wish we were all perfect. But you're not. I'm doing well, but the rest of you, you're not. I'm joking. Okay. We, we make mistakes. We are still dealing with our humanity. We deal with our egos. We deal with whatever. We need to forgive one another. Number five, encourage one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. Encourage each other, build each other up just as you are already doing. To, to encourage one another is to speak life. Notice people doing something right. But please, don't flatter Like, don't blow smoke. Try and be as specific as possible. In in other words, I mean, you might mean it if you say, hey, man, you're a really good man. You might mean it, but but maybe just add one or two reasons as to why. Hey, I really appreciate this about you. I really appreciate that about you. Hey, I saw you talking with that person, and and it's just amazing to me. You might might think this is normal for everyone. It's not normal for everyone else. I've noticed about you that that when someone's talking to you, you pay attention. You are present. You're not looking past them to who else, you know, you might want to talk to. You you are locked in. You're focused, and they feel heard. They feel validated. I think you have a real gift in this area. That's encouraging. You might notice a leadership gifting in someone when you're saying, Listen, man, that, that thing that's frustrating you, that's irritating you, I think that could be a holy discontent. I think God has given you a burden for something, and I think he's given you a certain tenacity, a certain strong willedness, a, 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 an ability to persevere. 
I think you, I think you might need to get in the game. That's encouraging. Let's encourage one another. Number six, this is similar but slightly different. Motivate good works. Hebrews 10, 24, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. In other words, it's not just, it's not just affirming things that are good about a person. It's, it's to encourage someone is to give them courage. So it is, it is giving someone courage to do something good. It's encouraging someone towards a good work that, that, you, that you think could be a part of God's plan for their lives. Again, we think of what Sue explained earlier, just, just an opportunity to be kind, to be generous towards young ladies in our community. Being a part of a community and a family, we enc- that's encouraging one another on to good works. Someone, someone uh, inviting you to join a team. Hey, why don't you come help serve in Tots? Why don't you come help serve in Kishish? Or hey, you, I've noticed you. You're amazing with teenagers. Why don't you come and, and find out if there isn't somewhere for you to help carry the load at Novo? That's encouraging and motivating one another to good works. And lastly, number seven, we need to protect one another. Let those words sink in. We need to protect one another. We're not talking about blind loyalty and where it's institutionalized deception and covering up. I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about on a, on a personal level. But let's have each other's backs. Hebrews 12, 15, look after each other. Okay, let's pause. Can you think of someone at the moment whose soul you would be looking out for. I think that's a question for us to consider from time to time. May I with grace and love and respect suggest that if there is nobody whose soul I'm actually looking out for, that maybe I'm living a very self-centered life. And that it doesn't matter what else I accomplish or achieve, I'm going to live, I'm going to be living in a very small world. There's no way I'm going to experience the same level of fulfillment, peace, joy that is meant to be experienced when we are living out God's full plan for our lives. Some of us would take better care of someone's cell phone than their soul. Now, it's not, I want to be clear, it's not your responsibility to control someone else, to manipulate them. If you've ever been a parent, you know that that just doesn't work well. But, 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 but where you are just looking out for someone, look after each other. That could literally just be, hey, you know, you know that this person isn't open to anything right now, but you're, gonna, but you're praying for them. You, you set a reminder on your phone, and for the next three months, however long it takes, at the same time, every day, you're going to have a reminder going off, I'm going to be praying for this person, praying for this person, praying for this person, praying for this person, praying for this person. Yes, man, I think of people whose lives, I am convinced, have been changed because there was a praying person in their life. They didn't control them, they didn't manipulate them, they were just praying. Now, to get very practical, and I am going to wrap up. Practically speaking, I think, I think that, that there are steps that we can take towards positioning ourselves, because we can't force this. 
just, just so you know, we cannot force community. We cannot force life-giving relationships. But we can try and position ourselves. As a church, we can try and facilitate it. We can try and facilitate through serving teams, through life groups. We can try and facilitate the opportunity for people to connect, for someone to know your name, for you to know their name. Over time, maybe, maybe you feel like, maybe you find out that there's some stuff in common. And over time, you even start to share a little bit. And then over time, you may even build a little bit of trust. And then over time, you share something. You take a little risk and you share something slightly vulnerable. And you're like, okay, they handled that, okay. You know, and, and there's a process. So we can only try and facilitate it, and you can only try and position yourself. You can't make it happen. But I do want to point out that I think that there are kind of like three types of relationships or stages to relationships. And generally speaking, they start with number one and over time move to number two and number three. The first is face-to-face. That's where we're just connecting on the surface. It's, we're dealing in facts. Nothing wrong with that. We all have to start there. I just want to caution you if you've been there for 20 years. That's not healthy. But we have to start there. That's where joining a team, uh, getting into a life group, it might not change your life, but at least you're getting some face-to-face interaction. In my life personally, I found that just getting involved early on, I, I feel like God met with me and did some stuff in my life. First few months out of school, 18 years old, and I just got involved. And through that, I met different people. Through that, I got to connect with some older men who I needed at that stage. I needed some older men that I could ask some tough questions of that that would be patient with me, that would help me try and navigate various things. For me, that started with just taking that step of joining a team. A second level would be heart-to-heart. That's speaking more of feelings. I don't mean like feely-feely. I just mean like where you, you actually share... By the way, if you think you don't feel anything, just consider what makes you angry. Because anger is a feeling, in case you didn't know. So maybe there's something in the country. Maybe there's something at work. Maybe there's something in the church that makes you angry. Okay, well, that's a feeling. So, so when we share heart to heart, that's, that's where there's enough trust that's being formed to where, to where you can share a little bit more about what you care about, what you're feeling, what you're, what you're wrestling over. Then, lastly, would be what we call back-to-back. And I think very few people ever allow themselves to risk this, but this is, I think, where the magic happens. I'm just being blunt with you. I think, I think for many of us, actually, I think for many of us, like, no one even knows your name, and that is sad. Like, that is sad. If you, can, if you can come into church and walk out of church every week for years, you might blame the church, and, and, I, and I understand that. I would, however, suggest that maybe there's something on you. If, you, if, you, if, you've, if you've never allowed someone to know your name, if you've never introduced yourself, if you've never responded to a new partner's dinner invite, if you've never joined a team, if you've never tried, we can, guys, this isn't how, this isn't how community is done. Not like this. So yes, people, a lot of people just stay disconnected. Others might have a very superficial connection. And then others might actually move on to where there's, there's a little bit more of a personal side to it. There's a bit of that heart-to-heart stuff. But it's, I'm telling you, is when people are willing to get very real with someone. Not with everyone, but with one or two people. 
Again, this isn't the context, but I think of this phrase from the book of Genesis that I think is such a powerful metaphor in this case, where, you, where Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. I'm saying, when you get back to back with someone, there's there, over time, you, and by the way, trust is built over time. The people that I trust most, we have built relationship over years and years and years, and disagreed and fought and, and had to reconcile and work through stuff. And that doesn't happen, that doesn't happen in a hurry. But, but you can actually be, but you can be transparent. You can be vulnerable and, and not experience shame. I think that's, that's, that's what I want for people. I think church, not church, this. This isn't church. I mean, I mean being in Christian community, Christian family, I think that one of the greatest goals should be to, to have an unconditional love and acceptance for one another where we can wrestle over stuff, disagree over stuff, hold questions that we don't have easy answers for intention and and be accepted by one another anyway and work through stuff together where there's safety where there, where it's just healthy man okay you might have picked up this is a little bit of a passion and a burden for me i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up ecclesiastes 4 verse 9 and 10 says two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed if one person falls the other can reach out and help but someone who falls alone is in real trouble and verse 12, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. By the way, if you're standing back to back, it's so that you can fight the enemies together, not to stab each other in the back, obviously. That's like, that's why trust has been formed. We are, we are dealing with this. We, together, we are, we've got each other. We are can stand back to back and conquer. Three or even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Let me get you to stand with me, please. Our thoughts, for better and for worse, our practices, for better and for worse, our relationships, for better and for worse, are going to form us or deform us. The invitation is to allow the Holy Spirit to actually have influence over those three areas and to help us give an increasing amount of real estate to the Holy Spirit. In those, Holy Spirit, direct my thoughts. Help me to pick what I feed my mind on. Holy Spirit, help me to be aware of habits and what they're doing to me. And, and if I need to change something, if I need to stop something, if I need to start something, God, help me, to, help me to review whether or not the relationships in my life are actually helping lead to life. James Clear wrote the book Atomic Habits that I've made reference to says the following you can graduate with the finest degrees you can read the most useful books you can enjoy the loving support of a family and friends but your degrees can't take action for you your books can't make the decision for you your family can't live your life for you there is no substitute for courage at some point you have to make the choice that's all i'm leaving you with you have to make a choice is there a gap between the life that you think God has planned for you to have and the life that you're currently living? For me, I'd say absolutely. So, that, so this isn't a trick question. I'm saying for me, yes, there's a gap. The question then is, okay, what do I need to do to help narrow that gap? And I do believe that it will be connected to what we feed our minds on, the practices and habits, the rhythms, the things that, that we allow to direct our lives and people. I want to pray the following 
final verse over you. This is, this is the concluding remarks from Paul the Apostle at the end of the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. He says, Dear brothers and sisters, I close my letter with these last words. Be joyful. Like the, part of, by the way, when we're following God's way, this, this brings joy. This isn't actually meant to be this heavy, hectic burden. I know I'm communicating myself with that intensity, but that's because I'm so convinced as to the life-givingness that this leads to. So be joyful. Grow to maturity. Encourage each other. Live in harmony and peace. Then the God of love and peace will be with you. What a beautiful encouragement. Be joyful. Grow to maturity. Enjoy harmony.